Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the CEO podcast. We've got a great guest today. We've got Brandon Theopoldis, who is the best sports attorney in all of LA. Brandon, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us. Thanks, Casey. I appreciate it. Can you just tell us a little bit about you and what you do currently, and then we can get into the backstory after that? Yeah, sure. So I work with my clients in an individual capacity and those really in the public eye, whether it's corporate or individuals. And I try and be more of a guide, more than just a lawyer, because people come to me to solve a problem. They don't necessarily know if it's a legal problem, but they believe that I'm the person that can help them solve it. So if I can solve it, I'm going to help them. And I like to do that on a continual basis because then you get the best type of experience that you could possibly get. So rather than just saying, here's a contract, I need to hire somebody. We want to know why you're hiring somebody, what your business looks like, what your revenue is to make sure that that hire is the appropriate uh, step. And if not, we can put you in touch with the people that may be able to help you get to where you want to be for a lower cost and a better return on investment. Sounds like you're one, a fixer for for a lot of your clients and you, you do a lot of things above and beyond what a traditional lawyer would do. And two, you actually really care about your clients and want to build a deeper relationship rather than just build them the usual way that I've dealt with many lawyers in the past. Absolutely. I'm not selling a widget, right? People come to me uh, because you know it's a problem that they have. And so usually the problems that you come see a lawyer for are pretty serious issues. And can you so give us I some can, examples of, of what that would look like? Oh, sure. I, you know, I'm not uh, somebody, even though I deal with people in the public eye, I'm not the person that makes problems go away that you see on TV. I help build those brands and help them find ways to increase their revenue. I'm probably the only lawyer that will guarantee an ROI uh, from the investment that you make into me. Uh, the biggest thing that we type, typically do is set up corporate structures around them in order to increase their revenue models. So if you think about a celebrity or an athlete, they like with an athlete, they're a high paid employee when they're playing their sport. But when they're off the field and they have endorsement dollars or other business interests, that money just comes into them. And so as you know, uh, from your tax strategies, we want to put a corporate entity around that just to limit some of that. Oftentimes a professional athlete or celebrity is going to be the real breadwinner for the entire family. They're going to hire their mom. They're going to hire a brother or a sister to do things. And if you're just giving people money, you don't have that same tax benefit as if you hire them as an employee, give them a defined role, and uh, then you're able to pay them as an employee. And if things go belly up, they're able to collect unemployment if you have to terminate them or end your company for some reason. Yeah, it sounds smart. You know, it it seems obvious to a lot of business people out there, but for the non-business people, it it can be a lot of pressure and a big burden, especially if you're a a young star athlete and now all of a sudden you've got a big paycheck and you don't know what to do. You definitely need some guidance. So let's rewind a few years. So you've got a fantastic background and history involving the Olympics and family members along the way. So can we kind of touch on how you became a successful sports attorney? Sure. Well, it was never uh, something that I wanted to do. I never wanted to be an attorney. I, from the time I was a kid, I wanted to work in pro sports. Um, I grew up in Colorado. My sister's a couple years older than me, and she was the first elite level gymnast in the history of the state of Colorado. That's a little fortuitous because the Olympic Training Center is in Colorado Springs, my hometown. And so when I was a kid, I was probably 10, 11, 12, 
My sister's on the national team and training at the Olympic Training Center two, three, four days a week. And so after Little League practice, my parents would come pick me up. We'd go and wait for my sister to be finished at the Olympic Training Center. And as a kid, you don't know what's different and what's not. This was just part of my normal day. While I'm waiting for my pain-in-the-butt sister to finish up, I got kind of free run of the place. So I'm hanging out in the USA Boxing Gym around Roy Jones and you know Manny Pacquiao and all these great boxers that are going to go to the Olympics, but yet they're just still no names at this point to the outside world. And there I am in my plastic cleats and my foam hat hanging out with these guys because I just figure we're all playing a sport. I didn't know what the difference was. Uh, and that naivete really gave me the experience to not think of it as the bright light, shiny object type of a thing. It was just our day-to-day life. And my sister ended up going to Penn State as the number one recruit in the country. And we sat in on all those coaches' meetings. I watched my parents fret about the bill for the coaching and how are we going to do this? And how are they going to send my sister to a tournament that she needs to go to in Michigan? And I watched all of that. And I was a part of it, even as her brother. I didn't get him make the decisions, but I was involved. And so when she went away to college, I found out that I did not have the same athletic ability. Uh, It took me a while to figure that out, but I got a summer job as a little league umpire, right? We're just, I'm 16 years old. I'm working 12 year old baseball. I got excited when we'd have a night game under the lights, right? All dirt infields. I thought I was king of the world. I didn't really understand what I was doing, but I loved it. And as I progressed in high school, just as the side job, I was umpiring junior varsity and freshman games of high school teams in my home state and my home area. And so I'd have the rival high schools after a day of school. I'd go from my school to across town and umpire those games. And it got to a point where somebody said, you should go to umpire school. And I didn't know what that was. I just figured they'd come and find me. And so you go to a trade school, and if you're good enough, if you can get yelled at and still do your job effectively, basically, um, they're going to give you a chance. And I was lucky enough to go work in professional baseball for a number of years, and that's where you get to see the, the shine really wears off. The first movie you're in, the first album you record, the first season you are in pro sports, you realize that it's a business. The fun of it is still there. The cool factor's kind of there. But when you're hurt every day, you're exhausted every day, you're traveling across the country to some places you like, some places you don't, but you're on the road every three days, you find out what the business is about and how it affects people. I'd see, you know, guys that you're going into the locker room before the game and you see the starting pitcher today breaking up with his wife over a cell phone because he hasn't been home in six months, right? It's a hard life for a family. And as you see guys that have millions of dollars or people from out of the country and they have hundreds of dollars, that's all, that's all they're getting paid. You start to look at things a little differently and you start to understand those pain points and what their lifestyle entails and what some of those problems are that everybody in that industry faces, but they can't really articulate. And so when I became a lawyer, I started to understand that and figured instead of trying to learn a a skill, just bankruptcy law. And that's all I wanted to focus on. I instead focused on those people that had given me so much opportunity in my life because it was just second nature. I understand these people. And so if I can help that next generation of athlete or person in the public eye, it just makes everything a little bit better 
for the next generation. And then it becomes easier to deal with those clients. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And kind of, it goes to, to your personality and the compassion that you have as a person to one go into that field when, you know, it's not the most lucrative compared to other no. types of law, but it's something that you have a good connection with, a close connection with on a family level and growing up and then can make that difference as well. So as we talk about that, one, congratulations, you know, being a lawyer is very difficult. Not everyone can go ahead and do that. So that's achievement in itself, having your own practice and growing that. What was it like coming out of law school, joining the real world, and then branching out into your own practice? Can you kind of just describe that side of it? Yeah, you know, I think I was naive when I first came out of law school. I just assumed that lawyers would get work because you're a lawyer. It's this prestigious job. People will just come to you. And I went to a firm that, uh, a litigation firm, I really didn't enjoy it. That seems to be the story with a lot of lawyers. You, you cut your teeth at a firm and you learn the business. You it's learn- with accounting and exactly what I did as well. You pay your dues yeah. and then you kind of move on. Yeah, and so I did that for two years. And I realized I didn't want to take that traditional path and be a partner at a firm. It didn't have the appeal to me. Making money's great, but I didn't want to, you know, dump two or 300 hours a month into a job just to become a partner. It didn't seem very rewarding to me. And so two years in, I left and started my own firm thinking, again, as a solo practitioner, people were just going to find me, not realizing that it's just like any other business. You know, I, I got to market myself. I have to get out there in front of people. And people in the sports entertainment space can be a little picky about uh, who they want to deal with, and they need the best advice possible. So even though I had a lot of connections in those spaces, I was a second year attorney. They shouldn't hire me. I wouldn't recommend hiring me either at that point. And so I started out with a lot of uh, up and coming bands or athletes that just had a one-off issue. And I was kind of piecing my business together, not understanding the marketing principles and the other side of the business that actually makes the business, not just the work. Uh, and so that part was difficult, but as I built it, as I went through the mud, I started to get noticed more and I started to get more experience. Even on those clients that were starting out, I'm doing, I was doing the same kind of work. They had the same type of issues just without the, the public pressure around them. And so as I started to gain that experience, I started to get more clients. I started to have other firms interested. So I had a firm bring me in to, to build out a practice. And then I decided that my practice was best on my own because of the business model. So what were you then doing to get those new clients? When you're, when you're coming in to build out a practice, I think one of the key nuggets of information is sharing that with people. And what did you do? What were the steps that you did to market yourself, to win the trust of people and kind of ultimately get them as clients? Yeah, you know, in, in this space, it's a high profile space. Everybody wants to deal with people on TV. For whatever reason, I think it's because the allure of fame is something that people think that they're going to work their way in and be the next Judge Judy or something just because they're a lawyer. And I don't want that. I don't want my name in the paper. That's not why people hire me. It's not about me. It's about my clients. I am very of service minded. And so going into it, I realized that the only way to get a client, you know, the the Academy Award winners aren't checking Facebook for a new lawyer. They already have a lawyer. But what I do is different than their traditional entertainment lawyer. I want them to have an entertainment lawyer. But also, they might need me for all their off-screen stuff. And so for me, it was I needed to meet 
all of the people that worked in this space. So I got heavy on LinkedIn and I started connecting with people because if you don't have connections and you're looking for them in your local area, it's better than I think going to a BNI chapter, which I was a part of and it was great, but you don't typically find the elite client service providers at BNI, right? You're going to find the state farm agent. You're going to find the dry cleaner, the electrician. You're not going to find the business manager to the stars. And so I started getting meetings with people that I realized that we had a reciprocal value proposition for one another, meaning I could provide them some sort of value and they could provide me a value that I found valuable. So it might be a restaurant recommendation. It might just be a friend. It might just be that, hey, you know what? I'm going to listen to their stories. And at the same time, they might provide me a referral or they might provide me another connection. And that's really what I tried to do. And so I did it on a personal basis. It took a whole lot longer, but I met everybody in town that way. And just because somebody didn't have the same type of client, I knew that they were interested in that. And if you're, what I started to focus in on when I was networking and building my business through those personal connections was that if somebody could be a good service provider for my ideal client, those were the people I wanted to meet because that's the circle of influence around my ideal client so that my name was going to be used a lot, not just now, but also in the future. So I'm here so, things here. One is you're surrounding yourself with people in that industry. So <clears throat> you're getting more well-known. You're building real relationships with these people. And then you're also reaching out to them on a regular basis and bringing them in as and when needed for their skill set and reciprocating work back and forth. Yeah. And it wasn't just, hey, I'm going to, because I send out referrals to each other, to other people, whether it's a networking referral or a question about a potential client all the time. And the focus isn't on, are these people that are going to give me work back? That's not my focus. My focus is on who can service my client the best, whoever that client is. So if it's insurance, I don't have just one insurance provider. I have five, I have six. I want more of them because people move, they change jobs, they retire, they die. And when those things happen, I want to be able to have somebody else that steps in seamlessly in my life that I can help uh, put those people in touch with. Some of it's personality, some of it's cost, some of it's just proximity. And so if you have all those things covered, it goes a lot better and your name comes up as well. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So you're building kind of an extended dream team that you can just plug yeah. people in as and when they're needed that you already trust and therefore add more value to the end client. I think that's the ultimate key here is that in order for you to stay in the good books and relevant and kind of on top of your game, you've got to have that solid network that you can just, when the client has a request that you can't fix personally, you can say, okay, here are the options. Here's the menu of selection, so to speak. Away we go. Absolutely. It's, it, and, you know, just knowing a bunch of people and what they do isn't the same as being able to develop that relationship. Um, it's, I compare the business card ninjas at a net, typical networking event to those relationship-based people. I want to deal with people that it might take three or four years before we even start talking about doing business together. I want to get to know what they do, who they are as a person, because there's a lot of, you know, financial advisors or CPAs out there. They're everywhere, just like a lawyer, right? If you oh walk into goodness. a Starbucks, Every you're going to find 10 lawyers. Yeah, or a financial advisor. <laughs> yeah, right. They're everywhere. But the relationships are what set people apart. When I can give a referral that says, I know this person, 
that goes a lot further than this guy's a financial advisor. He'll tell you what to do. I want people in my clients' lives that they know who they are. One of the first questions I ask is, who are your service providers in about 12 different areas? And if they don't have one or if they can't remember that person's name, they need a new one because they should be dealing with those 12 key people often enough that they remember their names uh, as they get brought up. No, that makes a lot of sense. So as we go to kind of wrap up, the kind of the ending question I always ask is, if you had to allocate your success between these three factors, how would you apportion it between luck, skill, and drive? You know, of all things, I'm going to say drive because luck is certainly part of the game. You know, if good luck or bad luck, that's part of it. Skill is only going to get you part of the way. Skill, you know, being a very good lawyer, being a very good CPA, financial advisor, whatever it is people do, that should be the standard. That should be the absolute baseline. Everybody should expect that from whatever job that they're in. The grit is the thing that sets people apart of, are you willing to work 10 extra minutes a day? Are you willing to, to go to that extra meeting 25 miles outside of town when you're exhausted? and have it result in nothing. Just because you need to go through some of those things. There's no shortcut to life. Uh, if there was a shortcut, everybody would be on it and it would no longer be the shortcut. Sometimes business is just hard and that's okay. As long as you're in on that journey and willing to just do a little bit more than everybody else, that's the thing that I see that carries the most successful people over the top. A lot of it's about who you know, but the only way you get to know people is by going through the mud to find those people. Yeah, I think uh, you, you've shared a lot of golden nuggets today. So thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time, sharing your wisdom and your journey with us. I'm sure you're going to impact uh, thousands of people. I appreciate it. Thank you. It was great joining you. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks.